Okay, well, that wasn't too bad. We had to do it twice for the first service just to, to make sure everybody was awake. But uh, just glad you guys are here today. If, if, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Ryan Graydon. I'm one of the elders here at Stonebridge Church. And occasionally Matt lets me teach. And, um, and uh, today he told me that I get to start the book of Romans. And so I was super excited. In fact, um, in preparing for this, I have a, a friend who's a pastor in northern Michigan, and I'll talk a little bit about him today, but, but his church spent over two years in the book of Romans. And so I, I, I love this book, and I think that we could probably do the same, and, and the passage that I'm going to preach on this morning, I think, could probably even become itself uh, five more sermons, but, uh, but what an awesome privilege it is for me to be with you guys as we start this new book and this letter of which I think is super important for us. If you haven't been through the book of Romans before, let me just kind of sum it up real quick. It's written by a gentleman uh, who, is, who is one of my New Testament heroes named Paul. And we'll learn a little bit about Paul here this morning. But Paul writes this letter, which is now the book of Romans, what we know is the book of Romans, and he's teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And throughout this book, you're going to see that, that it's not a, not a Paul story. It's a Paul telling Jesus story. Paul is, is putting Jesus rightly where he should be, at the center of it all. And he's saying to all of us who read this book, this man is the gospel. And so my prayer for you guys as we, we, we challenge each other through the book of Romans over the next few months is that you guys see Jesus for the man he is and the message he is. Because everything that we live, be, breathe, and believe centers on understanding that simple idea. In preparing for any message, I tend to look uh, and a lot of resources. First of all, I, I'll read the passage that I'm going to talk on over and over again as I'm praying and asking God to really impress upon me the importance of the Scripture. I also like to read articles that others have written on this passage. I read commentaries that describe in detail each verse of this passage that I'm about to preach on. And I even like to listen to podcasts or sermons that others give on this passage. And my goal in all of this is to prayerfully, spiritually, and intellectually understand what God is communicating through His Word to me and to us, and what my responsibility is in teaching it. So in doing so, I came across a message uh, by a preacher who was, was leading with a hypothetical story that I thought was very appropriate as we start in this book. And this, this situation, the story is simply this. What if there was a terrible, terrible illness that had infected the entire world? Does it sound familiar? And the illness was so terrible that it would cause eventual death in everybody. People everywhere had it, and yet they lived their lives as if nothing was wrong. But you, knowing that people had this illness, you knew the cure for it. 
In fact, you had received the cure and you want so much for others to have that cure too. And it's hard for you to live daily knowing that so many will die from this illness. If they only would listen to you, they might be saved from it. Yet through all your efforts, few are listening to you. And you know that this cure would radically change the world for good, but yet nobody will give you the time of day to share with them that cure. And frankly, it's hard to convince them that they need the cure because they don't even believe that they're sick. I mean, put yourself in their shoes, right? If somebody came to you telling you that you had this this horrible illness, but you don't even feel the effects or see the side effects, why would you even decide that you need that cure? The only way that somebody who is being told they're ill might listen is if that person who's talking to them might have, well, some significance. That person might be well-known or have some weight to their name, a person that is also, well, receiving the benefits from this cure, a person that has taken this cure and knows that it's right to do and that it would save everybody, a person that wants everybody changed. Meet Paul. Church, I I know that we are about to embark on a book that's heavy. What Romans has for us, if you take it all in, it's going to change your life. And if you let it, it will change your heart, your way of thinking, your understanding of your relationship with Jesus, and the need for others to know it and believe it too. What we're about to study over the next few months will give you a picture of not only what the gospel is, but who the gospel is. The love behind Him and your very need for its cure. And church, this message, I want you to hear this, is not for just those who don't know Jesus yet, but probably more for those of us who have known Jesus for a while. This morning we'll be reading from chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, which is, which is a huge passage introducing this letter to us. And, and I, what I hope you understand and experience this morning in the Scriptures is that they come alive in your heart and mind. That you might be even for the first time understand the sincere meaning of the gospel. And see how Paul, no matter how well-known he is, makes God greater in everything that he teaches. This book is not about an apostle. It's about Jesus and the love story that he has for both you and I. So if you have your apps or your Bibles, please open up to the book of Romans and read along with me. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, 
which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of his holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you guys, that's a long sentence. But there's a reason why, and we're going to get into that. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to, to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to creek to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach to you the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteousness, the righteous shall live by faith. You guys, like I said, I, I wish we had more Sundays to spend to spend on that passage because it's deep and it's sick and it's rich. And Paul is setting up this letter and this book, not just to this church, but for generations to come. But what I wish to spend time on this morning starts in verse 1, and I want you to know just exactly who is sending this letter of importance. I want you to know who Paul is. You see, I think... In order to understand who Paul is, we actually need to jump back into the book of Acts, chapter 6, where we, we meet a man named Stephen. Stephen was a disciple charged by the 12 apostles to continue to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Stephen did just that. 
The scriptures say that Stephen, in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, was full of grace and power, and he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. But often when that is happening, people rise up. And some people disputed Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. The Holy Spirit. And why? Because it was the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Stephen was a man who understood the full effects of the love of the gospel, the man behind the gospel. He understood the freedom that it gave him. And as a result of truly understanding that, Stephen spoke willingly no matter what the consequence, even when false accusations were brought against him in order to stop his ministry. And in chapter 7 of Acts, we see that Stephen does not back down. His passion and understanding of this love story of Christ supersedes any consequence that might come his way as a result of it. And in public, Stephen recounts the many years of God's people turning to God and then turning away from Him and then turning to Him once more and then away from Him again. And in true boldness, Stephen speaks and calls the leaders just what they are. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, he says, You stiff necked people. Uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, also do you. Church, I wonder if we're in that category. Do we want run from Christ and then come back and then run and then come back? As you can imagine, this statement sealed the fate for Stephen and, and the people there quickly brought him out of the city to stone him. And even as he was enduring this horrible fate, Stephen still understood the love that had been given to him through the gospel, asking God that their sins may not be held against them for doing this. Does that sound familiar? In the beginning of chapter 8, we find out as Stephen dies, who approved of this all? A man named Saul. Acts chapter 9 goes on to tell us of one of the greatest conversion stories you'll ever read of. It's when God takes a man, Saul, who for all purposes was a good religious man, a man who kept the rules of his religion, a man who was tough, a man who was productive, a man that was a respected man and had a good reputation among those in high positions, a man that comes from a good family lineage and turns him from one who persecutes the church to one who will expand the church to other nations through the rest of his life. God changes a man with a hardened heart into a man who walks a thousand miles enduring weather and hardship shipwrecks, beating, stoning, imprisonment, being without food, water, clothes, and he still loves all that he meets for the sake of the gospel. And he gives him a new name, Paul. 
with a new charge in his life given to him by Jesus himself. Paul is writing to the churches in Rome this very important letter that we will be reading over the next few years that literally begins to shape generations and thousands of years of Christianity. That's the man we're hearing from today. You see, Paul begins this passage with one of the longest greetings that he ever wrote in all of his letters. Much longer than any of the ones that comprise most of the New Testament, but there's value in this, and it's important that we see this. He begins by saying his name in verse 1, and then right away he also identifies himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. In some other translations out there, we see this word described as a slave also. Immediately, I think we all find that hard to understand. And I'm willing to bet that some of us, or even most of us, have never been in a position of having to answer to somebody else like that. Where you don't have a choice. You see, being owned or ruled by anybody would go against our constitutional rights and freedoms in this country. Just thinking of that context, uh, context actually makes, makes me angry and frustrated. To be somebody else's slave is not appealing to any of us in this room would be my guess. But yet Paul right here seems so happy for it. Why is that? Well, it could be that Paul's master is good. He's a master that cares for him, one that provides for him, one that watches out for his needs. You see, in Paul's time, this culture that he lived in, this was such a thing. People would work for others because they were either purchased as slaves or they were under contract to serve as a servant or a slave. And some would even do this for years to earn their freedom. But also true about those times is there were a number of masters that actually took great care of their servants and slaves. And in working under the person that owned them, they received kindness, comfort, security. Some of the slaves or servants, even after the agreement was finished, stayed with this master and continued to work. You see, they felt like they were part of the family. They were loved. They were showing kindness. They were taken care of. Paul's commitment to Christ is like this. He was happy to be a slave to Christ. I mean, who else could ever give Paul the amount of grace and forgiveness that he deserved? Who else could give Paul a new direction and purpose? You see, what Paul did understand was that his master was good. And because he was good, Paul desired to serve him the rest of his living days without question. 
And when the book of Romans was written, Paul had been doing this for over 20 years. Paul then goes on to say in verse 1 that he was called to be an apostle. First a servant, then an apostle. And, and if you're a Christian, the Scriptures tell you that being a disciple of Jesus is something you should do. Now simply put, a disciple is somebody who tells others about their faith. Somebody who knows that they have something good and they want others to share in that. An apostle, on the other hand, is somebody who is called directly by God or Jesus, sometimes even face to face, in order to spread the gospel message. Paul actually is the last and will be the last apostle in the scriptures. You see, during his conversion in Acts, you'll read that he was called by Jesus to do the job of sharing the gospel, even to suffer. Paul had, chose, had been chosen directly by him to take this message not only back to the Jews, but to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. It was a new beginning. And as Paul goes on in this first verse, there's a third identifier that he says, I was set apart. I was a servant. I was called to be an apostle and I was set apart for the sake of the gospel. You see, Paul knows now that after growing in, in his relationship with Christ, that this was no mistake for his life. God knew even way before Paul even was born that he had a purpose. Paul's life story was to be a persecutor of Christians, to encounter Christ, and then to endure for the sake of the gospel. God did not just decide on a whim that, hey, let's use Paul. God knew way before life was even given to this man that he would be his tool. Right away, Paul in this verse first shares, again, he's a servant that he was called, that he was set apart. You guys, this is a man to listen to. He's got the credentials. Paul goes on to share that this message has been promised for years and that the Old Testament Scriptures say of it. You see, Paul is tying the story of Jesus from the beginning to the end, and we have preached on that before here at Stonebridge Church. This book is a story of a man. And in this letter, Paul backs that up. This is nothing new. And this message of a Savior has been shared in hope for and promise for generations upon generations. And he continues to share that this Savior came in the flesh, that he lived both as the Son of God and man, and he was human and holy and died to give us freedom from our sins. Only through his death and resurrection were we able to receive grace and mercy. And that understanding alone should bring us from obedience, bring us to obedience in the sake of his name. And the sweet, small words in these verses note that this message was not just for the Jewish nation anymore, it was for all nations. All were called to Christ. 
And finally, we get into the greeting. The verse 7, he says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, even in his greeting, Paul is still teaching something very important, that the salvation of Jesus Christ was for all. All in Rome, both Jew and Gentile. You see, at that time, Rome was the epicenter for a multicultural mix of people. Most actually were considered Roman citizens because the conquest of this mighty country had expansive territory now through Europe, Africa, and Asia. It controlled a lot of land, and as a result of that, there were many ethnicities that were considered Roman citizens. And Paul's charge by God was to preach the gospel to all. Probably the hardest group of all to convince was this Jewish nation itself. You see, most struggled with and refused to believe that Jesus was actually the Son of God, that He was the Savior. So many Jews would not give Paul the attention that they should have, but in Paul's love of the gospel, he did not stop. He did not give up. And through his efforts, there were Jews who became brothers and sisters in this new faith in in Christ Jesus You could guess that even in their new understanding, they might still have maybe a a grudge to say that, that others outside the Jewish nation were being saved, but you will see that Paul's message never wavers from this truth. The gospel salvation is for all. And he was called to take it to all in the world. As we continue to walk through these verses, you'll notice that in verse 8, Paul makes a report to his readers in this letter. He says that your faith and your church in Rome is being noted by all the world. You see, the world is seeing, the gospel message has gotten out, and they are noticing the changes in Rome. This is good, and Paul is bringing this up to encourage the church and the believers in Rome. He continues to tell them in verse 9 and 10 that that he prays for them always, and that he's been asking God that somehow we might come to see them soon. You can bet that this is not the, hey, I'll pray for you line that you and I give quite often. Paul even says, for God is my witness when he tells them this. I'm praying for you. He notes that he is seriously lifting them up and yearns to be with them once again. And why? Verse 11 says it. He wishes to impart some spiritual gifts to strengthen them. And then he says to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I think that's incredible. You see, we have this superhero of faith, the guy with all the credentials. He's well known throughout the the region, and he is called by God to bring this incredible conversion story, a man that has been talking to, listening to, and learning from God for years, now is telling this church that he is excited to be encouraged and learn from them too. That's... The sweet truth of the gospel, you see, it's, 
It equalifies everybody. It treats everybody as equals. No one is greater or lesser in the eyes of the gospel. And you guys, I think that's one of the biggest issues in the church today. We even qualify each other. He knows more than I. I don't know that. I could never be as learned as them. Or We are all equal. That's the beauty of the message. And that is the wonderful life story of Jesus. You see, when he was beaten, bruised, and nailed to a cross, he wasn't just doing that for the wealthy. He wasn't just doing that for the poor. He wasn't just doing that for white or black or Asian or Latino or Caucasian. He wasn't that just doing that for men or women. He wasn't just doing that for the educated or the uneducated, not for just the old or the young. You see the scriptures scream that he did this for all. Passage upon passage in this book will tell that this man, Jesus, died for all who needed it. Everybody is equal. And Paul will continue to make much of Christ because that's how Christ sees the world. He wants people to know that this letter, this message that he is delivering is not Paul. It's Christ. You're saying it's for all, Ryan. Yeah? Well, let me tell you, you don't know my past. You see, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what the person over there did to me. You don't know what they deserve. You don't understand that this doesn't sit well for me. For everybody to be equal in the eyes of Jesus, I don't see it that way. You're right. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you think and how you see it. But I will boldly say this. Jesus knows. And he knows all are equal. He died for everybody. And what Paul is starting in this letter is the love story and the truth of the gospel, the truth of the rest of this book, the truth of the rest of the New Testament of which Paul mostly wrote, the gospel qualifies all to deserve this gift of salvation. My friend and, and pastor Alex Tunnicliffe taught this passage years ago. And I listened to his message as I was preparing for this, and Alex said something that, that really struck me, and I want to share that with you this morning. He said, as he was teaching this passage, he said, Church, I want you to understand something. He said, You are far worse than you could ever imagine. You are far worse than you could ever imagine. Now, there's some of you sitting in this audience and even watching this saying, that's right, and I know that. I am a horrible individual. I, I have a sickness and illness inside of me that, that I struggle with sin all the time and I can't stop. You are right. 
But I will boldly say that there are those of us sitting in this room right here saying, I'm not that bad. I've been a good Christian for a lot of years. I'm not that bad. How can you say that, Ryan? If you're saying that, you don't know the gospel. You don't understand who you are in the eyes of the gospel. Alex said, you are far worse than you can ever imagine, but you are far more loved than you can ever fathom. You are far more loved than you can ever fathom. Church, deal with that collision of thought. You are so bad, you can't, even, you can't even understand how bad you are and how much you need Jesus, but, but yet you are so worth it that Jesus loves you so unconditionally you can never understand that. Deal with that. That's this book. That's the gospel. And that's the man behind the gospel. In weeks to come, I would encourage you to have the right filter as you read and listen and learn from this book. That filter being Jesus. You need to see the gospel through the filter of Jesus. And you need to begin to see yourself through the filter of Jesus, not compared to others. And you need to see everybody around you through the filter of Jesus. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what's been done to you. I don't know how angry or frustrated you are with others. I don't know why some people hurt, persecute, make fun of, put down, or shame others. I don't have all the answers for why things have happened to you. I don't know what to do in all situations. I, I don't know why our community has been taking a beating this year with COVID, the derecho, racial tensions, other issues, divide in the church. I don't know this. But I do know this. And this is what this book teaches in order to even begin to understand what's happening around me, I need to see through the eyes of Jesus. If I can't see through the eyes of Jesus, I will never understand what he did for me. I don't think it would take Jesus long to make an argument for why I didn't deserve what he did for me. He could tell you pretty quick, But I know his gospel and his love story for me tells me it didn't matter. And that he loves me so much that he would do it again if he had to. That's incredible. We finished this passage with these last few verses. 
And they only add to what Paul has talked about. And that is this. We hear Paul say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I'm sure those of us sitting in this room are saying, I'm not either. I'm not ashamed of it. But let me ask you this. Do you share it? And share it often? Does it come up a lot in your conversations? And we're not ashamed of it. Are we thankful for it? Do we remember daily what Jesus did for us? The death that he didn't deserve, even so that we would have a chance at eternity for him? Do we remember that daily? And we're not ashamed of it? Are we truly thankful for it? Do we understand the depth of that? Do we plead out every day, thank you for what you did? but we're not ashamed of it? Do we appreciate the gospel? Do we cherish it? Do we, do we yearn to understand its depth? Do we allow it to actually convict us? To be told that we are not good enough, that we are maybe wrong? Are we taught by it? Does it change us? Do we let the gospel lead our lives daily in how we look at other people? how we relate to people, how we love people, how we wish to rescue people? Are we using a gosp- the gospel as a love message to others? Or are we, use- are we using the gospel to argue and create divide in our culture, community, and even in our church? Are we using the gospel to point out the flaws in family and uh, friends and neighbors and other, other members in the community and even this congregation? Are we living a Christian life making sure that others aren't stepping out of bounds, right? That they're following the rules. Are we quick to point the finger because they aren't measuring up as a Christian? Do we see the gospel and a relationship with God as as God just waiting to, to watch us screw up and nail us for something? Like God is causing something bad in our life because we did something bad to deserve it? Or we want something good in our life so we want to make God happy? Are we living like that? doesn't work that way, guys. That's not the gospel. The Christian life is not a list of do's and don'ts. The Christian life is understanding the love that Jesus has given us, the death that he gave us, and his awesome resurrection. Church, we need to pay attention to this book. We need to come daily to the Word and ask God to do a work in us. We need to change no matter how good we think we are. And if you don't know the true person 
of the gospel message, continue to study this book with us over the next few months because you will find something that you've never known before. And, and you guys, I pray that that happens with those of you who have been following in the faith for years. It's about the love of a Savior and the people that need it daily. Maybe even moment by moment. So what do we do? Live daily looking at people through the eyes of Jesus. They frustrate me. But if I can see them through the eyes of Jesus, I can love them. I was wronged by them, but if I can see through the eyes of Jesus, I, I know I need to forgive them. I think I am good, and I think I am right, but if I see through the eyes of Jesus, I'm certainly not perfect. We need to teach ourselves through the eyes of Jesus every moment of our life. And most of all, live in the love that we don't understand. Grasp that. And know that Paul will teach us all are deserving. All are deserving. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for its truth, even as hard as it is sometimes. And God, as we go through the book of Romans over the next few months, I just pray that we would all be challenged by your word and, and the message of the gospel, that we would have a, a, a new understanding of what it means to be pursued by you. God, I pray that we spend some time just looking at ourselves And I pray that we, we all understand the need that we are more horrible than we could ever imagine, but yet we are so deserving of a love we could never understand. God, I pray that that's our minds and our hearts. In your holy name, amen.